I would ask people that I would hear so, so much. I would hear for workplace, I would hear, you know, I'd like to work two days of work at home and two to three days to work at the workplace or vice versa or one and four. Right. And I would just hear that so much. And I would think to myself, do employers know this? Do they know that how much people are kind of yearning to kind of work a bit at just from home and have that maybe it's to be there for their kids or their dog or their, or just be able to, like, I live by a beautiful park in Portland that I really would miss if I couldn't walk in it, you know, at least a few times a week kind of thing. And that was my first kind of rumbling of the fact that, that, that something was going on there. And then when COVID hit and everybody was maybe half the workforce was forced to work from home. Um, it didn't surprise me that people are wanting to continue to work from home or wanting that. I think it's flexibility is the word. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the hidden side of modern work, help you turn procrastination into job search motivation, and teach you how to stress less, earn more, and change careers with confidence. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Kristen Schumann to the podcast. Kristen is a certified business coach and member of the Forbes Coaching Council. She has helmed successful businesses for more than 20 years, including the award-winning Nervy Girl magazine. She owns a career consulting practice called Spark a Career and a co-working space called Brightside Space. Her new book, Jumpstart, How to Redirect a Career that Has Stalled, Lost Direction, or Reached a Crossroads, is out for you to read so go check it out in today's episode we talk about the great resignation the future of hybrid workspaces including the facebook metaverse and how to approach your career from an authentic place if you like our show please leave us a review on itunes it helps us get the word out to more people who are trying to build their careers and uh, it allows us to have more conversations like these. So grab a cup of coffee or tea and settle in for my conversation with Kristen. Today's episode is brought to you by HireEct.us, a free app that lets hiring teams and candidates instantly chat about incredible job opportunities. If you're a hiring manager, CEO, or recruiter, Download the HireEct app to see a curated list of talented individuals and accelerate your hiring process 10 times faster than traditional ways. And if you're a job seeker, join the platform to start talking to decision makers at startups who are ready to hire. Businesses grow faster when everyone is communicating seamlessly. Download HireEct.us, that's H-I-R-E-C-T dot U-S today. So one of the things that, uh, as I was looking through your, your work, the idea of the great resignation is huge right now. And everyone's talking about it from a lot of different perspectives. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, uh, from a coaching perspective, I think everyone's client base is a little different. So I'm curious, what have your clients and, and the people that you talk to in the career space been experiencing when it comes to the great resignation? I think I've just been um, kind of seeing a, um, you know, a, a buildup of, of sort of discontent among the people that I, that I serve and frustration with sort of not being heard when they've brought these kinds of concerns to their employer, or, you know, any powers that be, and, and then just feeling like they, they, yeah, they, they worked from home and 
and in, in some ways they liked that better depending on the person people are all different uh, they're all over the map are, you know arguably but i think there's maybe a, a there's a, maybe a common thread among a lot of my clients that they're just they're feeling unappreciated a lot of them and they're feeling like um you know people are are really willing to to give a lot to their employers most people are but if they feel unheard and kind of unappreciated something's got to give at some point and i think I think there's a lot of factors contributing to, contributing to the great resignation. I think it's when people try to pin it down to one thing, I get, I get a little bit mm-hmm. confused. <laughs> <laughs> that, there's so many factors that are kind of converging at once, I think. Um, but if I, I, if I see it among my clients, to answer your question, I, th- I think it is a sort of um, attention and a, and, a, and a frustration of not being heard and, and appreciated among a lot of people because that's who I that's who I tend to see right yeah yeah kind of right so that's it's a it's sort of a selected audience (laughs) (laughs) that is that is always the funny piece right as coaches we we have these insights but it's always you know it's a self-selected group of people who are discontent with work so uh we we definitely see a certain sliver um when it comes to appreciation at work I think that that's such an interesting piece because the way I've seen companies try and create appreciation um, in the workplace, you know, maybe well-intentioned, but poorly executed in certain situations. So have you noticed any sort of like, you know, typically it's like, oh, here's a gift card to Starbucks, or here's, you know, a a quick note on your desk. And sometimes that stuff can be incredibly appreciated. And then other times it's just kind of, it's, it's, it doesn't seem like it fits within the rest of the environment, but I'm curious, what sort of things do you sort of, what sort of things do you see that actually build appreciation in the workplace? If there was an employer listening right now. I think you could kind of point to this. There's a Daniel Pink, there's, there's both a Ted talk and then an animated video that I pretty much have all my clients watch at some point, the animated video that is, if they, if they get really intrigued and, and fascinated by it, I have them watch the Ted talk too. And it's, driven or um, derived from his work on the book drive that he wrote and it's about how um, and he wrote that book like like over 10 years ago and the research at that time was probably 10 years old so it's it's interesting that it's really just now becoming something that people are kind of maybe talking about in in depth and in a, in a large scale so I'll get to the point um, in this TED talk in this animated video he says that that money actually only motivates us to a point right? It, it sort of, it does, but then it sort of stops. And once money is kind of no longer a concern, like most of our things are paid for, our, you know, our, our house or housing and food, and it's, it's not something we're kind of worried about well, how we're going to pay that stuff. Then the, the three top motivators are autonomy, purpose, and mastery, right? So it's not, people want, want to be self-directed, that's autonomy, right? They want to, they don't want to be micromanaged. I hear that so, so much well before the great resignation I would hear about that would maybe be the number one concern that people would express to me. Um, they want purpose. They want to feel like they're, con- they're doing something that matters. Um, and then mastery, they want to feel like kind of like the flow stuff that, um, that check, I can't pronounce his name. You might know who I mean. We talked about flow, right? Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. It's like that we, people want to feel like they're both kind of mastering something and being a challenge, but that, but they're not so stressed that they're overwhelmed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the three things. And I think if you can keep, you know, you know, it's hard for employers maybe to keep all those, those boxes ticked all the time for, for employees. I, I realize that challenge too, but 
I think if they're trying to, to address those things, I think they would do well to, to address those things rather than Starbucks cards. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Of course. And it is an interesting thing, right? Um, because some of these things are a little bit tough for companies, right? So something like purpose, right? Uh, we, we've seen this big influx in the tech world where every job and every role and every company is supposed to be changing the world, right? Like, oh, I'm going to create a new bread maker that's going to change the world or something because it's, uh, it's hooked up to your phone. And so it's kind of funny how, uh, you know, some of the attempts to fulfill someone's purpose, right? Fulfill someone's, um, those, those kind of inherent needs that we have as individuals, when companies try to do that for us, I guess where, where I'm sort of going with this is like, where is the responsibility in feeling engaged at work, right? Is it the company's responsibility to engage you? Is it your responsibility to keep yourself engaged? Because um, I do see that, and obviously it's probably a combination of both, and I'm very curious what your thoughts are on it. Um, but I, I do find people sort of use this idea of wanting to find their passion to either procrastinate things or companies use this idea of like getting our, our employees to be passionate as a way to overwork them. And so some of these things can sort of be perverted in ways. I'm kind of curious. Um, there's clearly the healthy ways to do this and the unhealthy ways to do it. Have you seen some unhealthy ways in which companies try to engage their employees and make them feel appreciated, but it kind of backfires? Uh, have you seen anything like that out there? Um. I think if it's done in a way that isn't isn't very sincere, that can backfire. You know, if it's like, or if it's like it's sort of a disconnected way, like you hear about companies, well, well-meaning, um, and you know, arguably still manage to offer some benefit in the good in, in the in the in the end. Um, but you you hear of companies for years that, that do this thing where they, I think Wells Fargo might be one of them that offers. Their employees a certain amount of hours to volunteer, right? And and that's that's great, but I think um, I think that maybe it doesn't address the overall like wanting the work they do every day to have purpose, right? And I don't want to decry those things and criticize them, but I think um, it's it, I think it's if it's if it's not really sincere and kind of something that the company kind of gets behind and believes in. You know, it's just like pick your charity of your choice. Yeah, and yeah. Do it. You know, I think that can feel a little bit like you know, or or if it feels like it's something where the company's only doing it to kind of get there, which is arguably a lot of the time that what they do. Like Safeway, I'm sure cares about breast cancer, but they do it because it's good for their it's good for the brand too, right? It's good. So you know, I think it has to feel um, you know sincere, I guess. Yeah, and that sincerity piece is, is kind of interesting because um, when it comes to actually having a job that is, let's say, fulfilling, right? I think sometimes the message can go a little too far. And we say, like, if you're not, you know, there's like the cliche, if you're not, your head's not popping off the pillow, you know, in love with what you're doing every morning, something's wrong, right? And mm -hmm. I, I always wonder how that plays into the great resignation and sort of these, these sort of I guess, waves that happen in, in the career of people uh, trying to like take control of things and really find passion in their work. And then, you know, we have these phases where people are like, I just want a job. I don't really care. Right. And so, you know, not every job, I guess, um, is going to be that role that ignites sure. someone's passion. Right. And so for folks who might be in a role that isn't 
maybe they don't see the direct output of their 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 work in some cases like maybe marketing roles you don't necessarily talk to the customer every day right you might be behind a bunch of walls of 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 social media or whatever the thing might be um how can people sort of find a, a sort of sense of self outside of their work and build a well-rounded life so that maybe they don't put too much pressure on the job to to fulfill everything for them mm-hmm. yeah and I, I this comes up um a bit in my work because um passion i think is a big word i think i say this in the book that it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself to to find a passion you know some people have it right I feel arguably to some point I have it, you know, with what I do. Um, But I think a word I like better that I feel like has a similar meaning and it's more what I think is attainable for people if passion feels like too lofty or too, like I said, too too much pressure. (laughs) It's the word engagement, right? So when people try to tell me like, you know, well, I think we we do kids a disservice by telling them they have to find their passion because I've heard this before. because, you know, my dad just got a job and he just kept his job his whole career and he he was grateful that he got to make good money or or whatever, right? And I say, I, I think to myself, well, okay, that's I, I see your point, but I, I do think engagement's important. I think if you're not going into into work most weeks, yeah, there's times we do boring things, tedious things, things that we'd rather not do or that are, you know, just annoying. <laughs> But I think if there's not overall some sense of engagement, I, I think that's, that's a problem. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to sort of differentiate those things. Because I do think passion gets a little bit too too lofty in the way that you're saying. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's almost used as a way to shame people. It's like, if you're not passionate, you're doing right. something wrong. And it's like, whoa, let's just keep that, keep that out of it. If you're, if you're getting a paycheck and you're supporting mm-hmm. your life, like you're doing a lot of things right and yeah, so and not, not hurting anybody yeah. exactly exactly so but we are in this time where people are taking stock and saying well wait a second this this isn't what i want to be doing all day every day right and mm-hmm. so when it comes to the great resignation in what you've been seeing what types of roles or people or maybe like types of work is it impacting the most is it senior management is it entry level is it you know, more service industries, or is it more um, corporate tech? What kind of things have you been seeing out there in regards to who is actually making these moves in the great resignation? Or is it everything across the board? I think every sector is, is affected by it. But there's, but but the, but the, the the big data says that um, anything in the, in the travel and leisure sector is hit the hardest. And I think that includes restaurants too, for obvious reasons, right? What I see in my work is, and, and it's interesting because I had a, um, I, I, I just had a, 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 you know, smattering of people who came to see me that were in retail, which, you know, was not surprising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or like retail management or um, assistant management and, and just, they just couldn't do it anymore. And I think, I almost think something like the rate um, COVID, the pandemic made them think, okay, I got to, something's got to give, I got to, I got to do something else. Cause they, so they, they'd, they'd already been in what I call pre-contemplative stage about their career. And then that kind of just moved the ball forward, so to speak. Um, but really, I mean, it, it's, a, it's affecting people in all kinds of roles because I think it just kind of having to shift your work suddenly 
to a remote situation. And if you weren't given support, and I think co companies often did the best they could, and it was, it was hard for everybody. Um, it just put a lot of pressure on people and, and then it gave people time to think. And if they weren't happy, then they were like, yeah, I, I think I got to go, you know? Yeah. Having that time to think really does open up a lot of ideas, <laughs> yeah. right? Walking it's, your dog and <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's hard to, to, sometimes it's hard to think strategically or long-term when we're so in it, right. When we're so mm -hmm. in the day-to-day -day of our lives, job, family, friends, all that different stuff. And so, you know, the pandemic really did just kind of open this big window for people to, I don't know, almost feel that existential dread to creep in in some ways. Yeah, you, you kind of wonder if it was kind of like the, the, what is it, Tony Robbins or somebody like that who does the cold splash of water thing that you do, the cold water bath thing that's supposed to get you out of your ruts that you're in, you know, I almost wonder if COVID was like a cold water bath for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. And, and when it comes to this idea of like people realizing that they're stuck, let's say, um, or losing direction in their, in their careers, um, what do you think typically lands people in those positions? Let's say if someone's early in their career right now and they want to avoid getting stuck in the future, what do you think are some of the telltale signs that you might be heading in that direction? I would recommend like watching this video I mentioned <laughs> for one, for one, just like giving, it's a 10 minute watch. It's, it's the animated one. It's fun to watch. It's like a scribble video, right? Daniel Pink, um, called drive the surprising things that motivate us or something like that. Um, uh, and then I think watching that and asking yourself if you're, if you've already feeling discontent, right. And asking yourself of the three things that he mentioned, you know, which one of these three might be happening for me to, and then kind of trying to address that. So if it's mastery, seeing if you can get more challenge in your work, sometimes we can find challenge outside our work, you know, if it's not happening in our work, if other things about our work are pleasant enough to stay there, right? Because sometimes when we work somewhere a while, we get a certain amount of autonomy, right? The other one of the other ones. And that's hard to walk away from because you know, if you go into another company, you're not necessarily going to get that right away. You know, even at certain levels, you're going to have to work for that a while to, to build trust with your employer to get that. So I think, yeah, just asking yourself among those three, what might be happening? And if none of those three seem like they're like, okay, no, I have autonomy, I have purpose, I have, um, um, I can't think of the other one. I have autonomy. I have purpose. I have um, mastery. mastery. Yeah. Um, then the other one I would add to that is is connection, right? And so connection. How I describe connection is, yeah, you just feel like there's maybe a discontent content with or disconnect with the people around you that you work with, or or even with the clients that you serve. You just feel like it just just something feels a little off, you know, like. Um, you're just not, you know, feeling like they're your people or, or, or that kind of thing. Um, those are, I think those are places to start. Yeah. And that disconnection can be multiplied a lot in the remote work setting, right? Mm -hmm. So um, with so many people having gotten their first taste of remote work, how have you seen, I don't know, maybe the appetite for remote work change over, over the past, you know, couple of years that we've been going through this craziness? Yeah, well, I'll just, if you don't mind me going back in time before yeah. the two years, I will a little bit, because I, um, for about four to five years, I've been asking people, everyone who I work with, I have them do just a tiny bit of journaling when we get started, and I ask them to ask, to tell me, um, to describe their ideal boss, 
their ideal colleagues um, and to tell me to and to describe for me their ideal work place by workplace I mean the place that you might go into work every day right and then your ideal workspace which is different which is like your more intimate workspace that you work at right because I just like to get a sense of how people work right before I start working with them and you know is it is by workspace I can be like do you like like, like I'm a person, I like to kind of shift around. Mm-hmm. I work at this desk sometimes. I work in my living room. I work at my kitchen. This is before COVID. I work at my kitchen table, coffee, ha- coffee houses before COVID, right? Um, and so when I would ask people that, I would hear so, so much. I would hear for workplace, I would hear, you know, I'd like to work about two days of work, two days of work at home and two to, three days to work at the workplace or vice versa or one in four, Right. And I would just hear that so much. And I would think to myself, yeah, it's kind of anecdotal because it's, it's my, like we were saying before, it's my self-selected group of people mm-hmm. that need to see me, you know? Um, but I just thought, do employers know this? Do they know that how much people are kind of yearning to kind of work a bit at just from home and have that? Maybe it's to be there for their kids or their dog or their, or just be able to, like, I live by a beautiful park in Portland that I really would miss if I couldn't walk in it, you know, at least a few times a week kind of thing. And um, that's, that was my first kind of rumbling of the fact that, that, that something was going on there. And then when COVID hit and everybody was, most people were, I should say, were forced to, or not most people, but, but like maybe half the workforce was forced to work from home. Um, yeah, I guess to answer your question, I think that it, it didn't surprise me that people are wanting to continue to work from home or wanting that. I think it's flexibility is the word, right? They want the option, especially if they feel like, wow, you know, my work isn't customer facing, or even if it is, I can do it from home. Mm-hmm. Why are you making me come in to work and drive a half an hour or an hour or more? You know, I think that's, it's, it's really not surprising when you think about it, you know, because yeah. we want control <laughs> of our lives, you know, we're adults. So It's so true. And I think, this is where the conversation online, I think, gets so splintered because um, you you end up getting these two camps as everything online becomes, <laughs> right? And you get the camp that's like, F your employer, be autonomous, go do your own thing, all that kind of stuff. It's like, if they're not giving you everything you want, they're terrible. And then you go to the employer pages and you see them being like, employees have no respect for the, oh, they have no blah, blah, blah. And everyone's just at odds with each other in this whole process. And I always- Not a lot of nuance in the conversation. Right, right. And, and I'm, I always, whenever I'm talking to folks, especially in the job search um, and in this, in this sort of context with the remote work for sure, but um, also in, in the case of like the interview and stuff like that, where it's like, the reason the interview is so hard is because you're only focused on yourself and you haven't thought about what the other person is dealing with. And the reason you can't get your hybrid workplace set up is because you haven't thought about how it impacts the employer and what they need to deal with in order to support that or like the transition right. cost or any of that stuff. And so you end up just getting these two polarized points yelling at each other. But I do wonder sometimes if employees want more flexibility what sort of flexibility are they willing to give, right? And so that's always the question because I'm always in between. I'm talking to the CEOs and the job seekers and like, they're just not saying the same things. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, and I wonder if some of that's generational too because arguably a lot of the people that are in power are either baby boomers or Gen Xers and I'm a Gen X and I was raised to think that, you know, 
we're, we're kind of sandwiched between the millennials and the boomers, obviously. And we were, but we were kind of raised more to think like boomers, you know, and, um, and so we thought that, yeah, you go to work and you, you work hard, you show yourself to be a hard worker. That's not to say that millennials don't work hard. I don't think that at all. <laughs> it's not bashing millennials at all. I actually think they're awesome. Um, but I think that uh, there's a disconnect between the people that are in power and that have the leadership and make the decisions and the people that are the employees. And I, I think that unless they start having comfort, that's like anything, anything with a, a marriage or a friendship, or if you're not talking to each other and really trying to understand each other first and getting through what might be the, the solutions to these, these kind of challenge, these kind of um, rifts or whatever you want to call them, you're not going to get anywhere, you know, you know? And so I think there's actually some, you know, com I'm not a conflict resolution expert, but if you, if you study conflict resolution at all, we, we're, we're made to believe, right, that most of us that compromise is always the answer to a conflict, right? Like, because conflict is two parties wanting different things, right? But actually the experts say that it's, it's um, collaborating is actually the way to get through a conflict, right? You, you keep talking, keep talking and keep talking. It takes longer, that's why it doesn't always happen. Um, and it takes a certain trust, right? And container, but that's where you get solutions. And I think that needs to happen here, that these solutions need to kind of come from like deeper conversations that keep happening, you know? And I don't know how you make that happen among, you know, I, I think you, you're probably gonna see some stalemates and, and then you'll see some creative solutions. I think, you know, we make fun of tech for having their cereal bars and their little pod chairs that people can work in when they, don't want to work at their desk anymore and stuff. But honestly, I think those kinds of at least innovative ideas are are what we're going to need to, you know, ideas, just the, the willingness to kind of to have those kind of ideas and, um, you know, solutions, I, I, I think, are, are what we're going to have to do to get through this. Yeah. And that's the thing, because I, I do feel that people tend to forget that a lot of the things that we now make fun of like the tech industry for doing are the things Take that employees <laughs> yeah they're the things that the employees asked for like these right. are this is a all this is and always has been a collaborative uh area of growth right what an office looks like what uh, a company looks like and so on you know it kind of you know it starts with the googles it starts with the facebook's it starts with this crazy place that was in chicago called red frog events that had a big tree house in the middle of the office and a slide and it's like on the one hand it's we look at it now 15 20 you know years later and we're like that's kind of cheesy like is that even necessary like do i need to be on a on a swing in the middle of the office but at the time i remember every single person that i went to school with wanted to work at that company and so it's <laughs> so funny how like we look at these things and we go oh my gosh well of course they took they gave us unlimited vacation because that means that we are not going to take the vacation right and we're going to end up working mm -hmm. more it's like yeah but i wonder if they calculated that when the first company did that or if that's just a byproduct that they didn't expect and now it's caught on and it's a trend and and sometimes we lack this understanding we almost uh come into the job search with this idea of everyone is malicious everyone has malintent right and yeah and i'm curious like how do we get out of this mindset of like these companies are actively trying to hurt us because 
it can be a really rough journey to find your passion, to get a job, to make a career change and all these different things. And you got to, you got to do something to keep yourself positive. What, what have you sort of seen? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I work in a company, I work in a town where, where, you know, in a book, I think I call them prom dates. Like there's, there's in any town you live in, um, there's companies that everybody wants to work at, right? And it's Nike here, right? Everyone wants to work at Nike and stuff, you know, and I don't know. And I think you just hear about ideas that they've come up with to kind of keep people happier. And, and Tillamook is a cheese dairy company based in Portland. that's got some national presence. You might've heard of them, but I've heard they're doing some things that are kind of interesting with their workspace. I think maybe just like look, take a look at what's working, go back to Richard Florida's stuff where he talked about how if you want to, you know, attract creative talent, you're going to have to make your workspaces attractive, if nothing else, you know, because a creative people, you know, prefer to work. And I find that to be true. I work with a lot of creative people. They, they want to, they don't want to work in an ugly gray office, the office, like, you know, setting, you know, mm-hmm. if they want, and, and just kind of tuning into each other, right. To what, to what, the needs are. We interrupt today's episode to let you know about Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help. Each month as a member, you will get access to two one-on-one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum. Want to take your search to the next level? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15-minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you. Now, back to our show. I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, what is, somebody asked me recently, what, what's the future workspace going to look like? The, like, I was, was like, 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 what am I, PK Dick? You know, like, <laughs> the future, I, gosh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, but I think the challenge of the future workspace, I don't know what the future workspace is going to look like exactly, but I think the challenge is going to be for the employer to create, if, if employees continue to demand remote work, or at least the flexibility to work remotely, the challenge for employers is going to be what, what, how, what, is, what does a sense of place look like then, right? Is it everybody comes in on certain days and that's the sense of place that you have? It's a sense of place like this virtual space that we we all kind of feel like we're there together, even if we aren't. And as technology improves in these areas, that might be really interesting to see how that shakes out. Is it social events that are that you hear about companies organizing gaming online, like Jackbox games online after hours? So you're not just talking about work when you are together kind of thing. So I think I think that'll be the challenge. I don't know how the answers, where the solutions or answers are going to come from, but I think the challenge of creating that place of that sense of what work a workspace looks like is going to be um one of the one of the great questions of our time I think and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out yeah especially because we've seen so many phases it almost seems like these workplace phases are move are changing even quicker and quicker and quicker as the years go on right um we used to just have the you know big box offices the office space type places and then Mm -hmm. uh companies started building campuses when they got large enough I remember my first job was on a campus and you, everyone ate at the lunchroom and everyone, it almost felt like a college part two in some way, but yeah, mm-hmm. not nearly that's as what, fun. That's what Nike calls their, <laughs> yeah. Their, yeah, their, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And like the Apple campus and like, and I remember, mm-hmm. you know, these companies do that in order to keep 
they, they built these big campuses because they had a ton of employees and they wanted everyone to be able to be in offices together and collaborate together. And then, of course, because they needed all that space, then they're isolated from, you know, they're more further in the suburbs and they have to build a mm -hmm. cafeteria to feed everyone. And but then it becomes this thing uh, where it's like, OK, the gym is on site, the food is on site. So now I never leave this office. Right. I'm here like 15 hours a day. Yeah, and that's very Google. You know, exactly. That's, that's like, exactly. And, and it's just funny because it's like on the one hand, if they didn't have those things, if you were just at this campus and like then you had to drive two hours to the gym and then you had to drive like all these mm -hmm. you know off campus to get food and everything like that that would create its own issues and so but because they built this thing they you know didn't have a remote office downtown and things like that and so it is kind of funny how it's almost like these these attempts and then these reactions and these attempts and these reactions and we're sort of in another phase of attempt and reaction and we're seeing a really interesting number of I guess, potential solutions come up. I think recently I saw they're trying to get office hybrid retail spaces. So they're going to malls and like Macy's and all these different places that, uh, you know, don't have the foot traffic they used to have <laughs> anymore. And they're putting almost these co-working spaces in those areas where you're like mm -hmm. shopping and kind working at the same time. Yeah, it seems yeah. like it. It's or like, a, or like a food kind of... Um... Like we're a big foodie town and like making like a for years later there's talk of this thing called the james beard you know kind of kind of like i don't know i forget what they call it but it's like a place where there's all kinds of micro kind of food businesses that could almost like an indoor farmer's market yeah kind of that's thing, cool. like with micro um anyway yeah we have a mall that's just under that they're called lloyd center and they're nobody knows what's going to happen to them because they're they're kind of dying on the vine but but I, yeah, I think that, I think that's the kind of innovation I mean. I think we're going to have to get really creative and think outside the box and, and, and maybe make spaces that are really engaging for people and better than a mall. You know, I, I, I don't think the death of the mall is that it, it sucks for the people who work retail and the, you know, the, you know, their, their jobs being compromised and unstable and stuff. I, I don't wish for that for anyone, but I think I, I never found, I, I never felt like malls were particularly vibrant places that I thought my soul came alive in. <laughs> and maybe we can make a space that people work in that's a little, yeah, like in maybe like a, I think of this Lloyd Center Mall, which is a quite sizable mall, actually. Maybe it could be like a, the create, the creating like an urban environment inside in a rainy city. <laughs> right. <laughs> it could be kind of neat, you know, and give these smaller, but I think what, what bothers me about regular malls is that they're so often like chain businesses, right? And if these malls could be places that were more willing, I'm not saying that there couldn't be any change because there probably has to be to some extent, but could, there could be more um, local businesses given kind of a, a foundation to have a chance or to incubate, right? I think that yeah. could be really cool. And it would flow from how people are already behaving. Um, you know, people, when they do remote work, like you, like you said, there's there are the homebodies that never leave the house, but there's also people that like to move around. I'm very much a coffee shop person. When I, when I'm at home for too long, I'm like, man, I gotta get out of here and like be productive for a second. Yeah, yeah, uh, me too. I, I miss yeah. that. I miss working at coffee shops. Yeah. Yeah, and like this that. Is my, this is my bipartisan cafe. My little. Oh, nice. Former former <laughs> workspace. <laughs> and that's and that is like a, a real opportunity is to follow the behavior. How do people behave? And I think that that's why it's so important to look at these things, not through like the lens of what's quote unquote 
cool or ideal, but instead of like the lens of how do people actually act? How do people actually behave? And this goes back to some of the things you mentioned earlier, like what actually makes people unhappy at work? You know, that's like, oh, people leave companies because of their, because of bosses, not because of the work. And of course that is true, but it's also, they also leave because of the work and they also leave because mm -hmm. of micromanagement or because of whatever the thing might be too long of a commute, not enough pay. There's workplace bullying sometimes. Workplace bullying. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have to look at people's behaviors holistically, um, which also brings up a funny one, which is, you know, there's this cool utopian idea that you and I are talking about these like urban malls in a way where you can have multiple different types of workspaces, quiet rooms, loud rooms, whatever. But then there's, the very digital approach to it and Facebook's uh, transition into the metaverse and everything like that. <laughs> what are your <laughs> thoughts around that future of work? And I don't know, have, have you looked into it at all? <laughs> Do you have any thoughts? I, I haven't looked into the metaverse. It's it's probably something I should be exploring or at least researching more. But um, I, I mean, I do think a lot about you know, ever since March, 2020, like a lot of us, we've thought a lot more about what, how best can we collaborate and be productive in, in remote area ways and, and how it's harder on some people than others. Some people find it really draining to be on Zoom. And so I think it will be interesting to see how these technologies improve. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. So when I see those commercials for the metaverse, they frankly, and maybe I'm you know, aging myself, but I just feel like they, they kind of freak me out, <laughs> you know? Um, I don't know if I think of that as ideal, but I also think that I have to really be willing to kind of be open to what the future brings and what the non-creepy kind of possibilities of what that right. stuff could offer too, right? Yeah, and yeah, unfortunately, Zuckerberg doesn't help make it not creepy. <laughs> like almost everything. He, he should made... have hired, I don't know, Michelle Obama to make that pitch right. for charisma or something. It just was like, uh. yeah, dude can make barbecue sauce seem robotic, but um, there is just such an interesting sort of, it's fun for us to talk about these two sort of different futures, right? One where it's hyper flexible. You can be in the office, you can be in these, you know, cool remote workspaces, um, the metaverse, it's like, I think they were like, you look next to you and there's a hologram. I just can't imagine wearing a headset all day long. That would drive me crazy. Zoom and <laughs> headphones is enough. But in a way, you and I are already in the metaverse in the way that we're doing this podcast, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, it's all just this one big spectrum, right? Of, mm -hmm. of in-person to seamless virtual, right? And so, I don't know. I, I, I love that we went down this sort of tangent of like, what could these workspaces be? And I, I do think this idea of just flexibility is incredibly important, but it also runs up against one of the biggest issues, which is people are resistant to change, right? Mm -hmm. And so in, in what you've seen of job seekers and how they've been adapting to the changes in the work environment, in the way that they get jobs and how long the job search hunt goes on for and, and how, you know, companies take two to three months to finish an interview process. What sort of things have you been seeing that people are trying to adjust to and maybe doing, maybe having a hard time adjusting to in the, in the workforce? Yeah, that's, that's, what's interesting. Cause I, and I've, and I've, and I've seen this in the articles I've been reading too, that while there's a great resignation and there's supposedly like 10 million jobs out there to be filled, that a lot of 
people I work with are, are just saying like, why does it take them so long to get back to me? And or why, or why do they sometimes not get back to me at all after I interviewed with them three times? And, and so I think there's, um, yeah, that I, 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 I have to constantly kind of, um, you know, encourage my clients to, to, to realize that persistence wins the day. You just have to keep taking a crack at the bat, you know, just over and over again sometimes and, and believe that the right thing's out there. And it can be really demoralizing, especially if it's too many times. Right. And yeah, you want to look at what you're, you're customizing your resume and your approach in different ways. And if the job is going to ask for, this is what I've been really encouraging people to think about a lot lately for obvious reasons is making sure your resume and your cover letter talks about the fact that you, if, if the job calls for it, for you to collaborate remotely, that you're building those skills or that you've built those skills, right? Because just knowing Zoom and knowing Slack, that's one thing, but, but what other soft skills have you built to kind of make yourself a better leader who leads a team online or, or collaborator if you're on a team, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I, I think it's just that said, I also feel like these HR departments, I, I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of work can be done on streamlining the processes too. I think there's just seems like a lot of bottlenecks that don't need to be there. Um, that's what do you think process. the reason for all the bottlenecks is? Because this is a question that comes up from job seekers all the time on my end, where they're like, why is it like this? Mm-hmm. I just think they're kind of, I think when you're in power and you call the shots, you don't have a lot of need to, or, or seeming need to change, right? And just with any relationship, you don't, the one with the most power doesn't, and that, and that was employers before, now the power dynamic is, is, is arguably shifted. And they're wanting employees and then, you know, complaining because they can't find them low employees, but they have these processes that are probably, probably haven't really been updated fundamentally since the nineties to some extent, you know, they're clunky. And um, I just, I just think it's, they just haven't had the, you know, the incentive until now. And so, yeah. And hopefully the incentive lasts. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that you want you want to you want you want your the people looking for work to have patience, but then you want the <laughs> the employers to, to streamline things. So somewhere maybe in the middle, they can kind of meet at some point. You know. Yeah, and this does get job seekers into this sort of shoulda, woulda, wishing kind of thinking, right? And I think that there's two ways to look at it. There's the companies should do this, and then getting really frustrated that they're not doing those things. And the, I should be doing all these things and then getting frustrated at yourself for not doing those things, which we all do in various parts of life. But um, with some of the should haves that people feel towards companies, um, let's say, you know, you're, you've been in the job search three or six months, you're going through these processes and, and you're starting to be like, this needs to change. This should change. Why is it like this? What are some ways that people can maybe recenter or, or reset their expectations of things? To be much, to be a bit more realistic, right? And I and I do think that there's sort of this push and pull between social media kind of hyping everyone up to wanting these perfect, you know, picture perfect kind of careers, and then the reality of the working world. What are some of the realities of the job search or realities of the working world that people can maybe adjust their expectations for so that they don't almost plant seeds of discontent too early? I think if you're if you're if you're talking about like like you know, discontent in like 
how the job search is going and the ensuing interview process and landing that kind of that whole process. I think, I think realizing the work you might need to do as an employee looking for work, right? Um, because, you know, sometimes, I mean, I, I, I can't have met anybody that couldn't get better at interviewing, even the best interviewer, right, can, can still work on their skills. And yet I see a lot of people really resist that. Is, is, that's one of the things I offer is, is, you know, my career coaching is interview, you know, kind of mock interviewing and just interview prep in general and, and even discussions about what you might wear to your interviews and things like that. And, and people, people, most people want help with that and they, they're, they're open to it and the feedback and, and so, but people really often don't, they just, I think there's so much of this like public speaking, like stigma around people say they'd rather die than mm -hmm. public, publicly speak or interview um, that, yeah, there might be things that you need to work on as an as an as a, as a job seeker. You might need to keep tailoring your resume for different jobs. If you're not tailoring your resume and your cover letter for different jobs, you're probably not going to have much success, um, especially when you get into higher level professional work, right? Yeah, and that brings I'm up sure the that question. Your question but, no, it yeah. it did because I do it. It's bringing us into the the responsibility of the job seeker, right? Because I do think a lot of what happens in career conversations is. The employers should do this better. Why aren't they doing this better? You know, why is this taking so long? All, all those different things. And, you know, we can, if a company wants to hire, you know, some career expert to help them streamline their system, great. But we work mm -hmm. with clients, we work with individuals. And I think that at the end of the day, it comes down to the individual to take responsibility for what is within their control, right? And one of it is one thing in our control is our mindset and how we look at things and our perspective. Another is the effort that we put in. And I do think that um, people have maybe unrealistic expectations of how much work it's going to take of the types of mindsets you need to have. And, and I know in your work, you've talked about the entrepreneurial mindset and trying to figure out how much of that to incorporate into the job search. And you know, a lot of people think very binary about it. They say, I'm either an entrepreneur or I'm not, right? But there's so much that we can take from different, from things we can take from the marketing world, things we can take from the entrepreneurship world, things we can take from the world of research and statistics to improve our job search. And I'm curious, when it comes to that entrepreneurial perspective, what are some of the ways that you've seen people incorporate that in order to take more ownership and autonomy in their job search? I think um, the thing that comes top of mind for me when you ask me that is, is people really working on their messaging and people tend to think of it as their elevator pitch, right? That's the 1950s kind of verbiage, right? But I think it's still really important. And I don't love the elevator speech or elevator pitch name, to be honest with you. I can get kind of hung up on semantics myself. Um, and yeah, we're not getting in I elevators think. anymore. <laughs> right exactly we're, we got masks on like we're not talking yeah i think it makes me think of that movie the producer oh yeah um, the one from um is that no the player the player from the robert altman movie from the 90s where people are just pitching their movie ideas as quickly oh, yeah. as they can and it's like private benjamin meets pretty woman you know and it just feels sort of like pitchy you know yeah and i think a basic message is a bit of that but it's more i hope hopefully more authentic it's more it's a deeper kind of thought process that goes behind it and it's delivered because we don't talk in pitches we talk in conversations um uh 
and I don't want to give, take credit for that, that insight. Cause I'd actually got, I got that from a, a book called book yourself solid. It's for people who want to pitch themselves as a, or kind of book themselves as a service entrepreneur. Right. I thought it was a really smart insight though. He has a little kind of graphic in his book about it, about how we don't, it's like, like you have two people, he has like a drawing of two people in an elevator and one of them's kind of doing his, his or her pitch. And the other person is kind of thinking in a thought bubble, like, why is this person going on and on about <laughs> themselves kind of thing? You know, it's like, we talk in conversations, we don't talk in pitches. And so it's really like practicing, like really getting clear about what you're looking for. So even if you're out with your friends for like your weekly dinner date, like that you do with your friends when you get together, like, and they ask you, you know, hey, what are you looking for right now? Are you looking for work? And, and having something at the ready that you can say to them that you are, you've thought about and that you're, you know, because we don't want to like, especially for Midwestern, like I am in German, right? And you know, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to talk about yourself so much and brag or whatever. And, and but I think those people want to help you, you know, and they want to connect you with other people. And if you just have anything, something just like, hey, I, th I think I'd be really good in, um, in a, you know, a finance position in a, in a, in an apparel company, just something as simple as that, that can go a long way to planting that seed in people's mind. So that I think is the thing I, it's another thing, or, or, you know, in addition to interviewing, I find resistance around that I really kind of, kind of nag at people a bit to, to be willing to work on, right? Yeah, I, I see it the same way. And I think that there's, there's multiple levels to it. And on the one hand, people don't really know themselves very well, or not everyone has taken the time to really understand what drives them and what they want out of their career and where they want things to go. They're sort of reactive in a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. so when they go then try to tell someone else, uh, it comes out weird because they're they're kind of scattered in their mind, right? And mm -hmm. so helping kind of people- rambling. Exactly. And, and helping people- this is where I think there's some nuance that doesn't always get talked about, but there's the getting to know yourself side of things. And then there's the promoting yourself side of things. And they're almost two separate phases of, mm -hmm. of messaging. And I think sometimes people figure out who they are and what they want. And then they go and say that to the world as though that's the messaging. Right. And it misses the step of like bringing in your audience and adjusting the message for the person that's that's listening to it, right? Imagine a, a company saying, uh, buy our products so our shareholders are happy. It's like, okay, well, we understand that that's something that is core to a business, but that's not mm -hmm. going to make products fly off the shelves, right? And I think that mm -hmm. sometimes when people go out into the marketplace in the job search and they try to sell themselves, they end up just sounding very uh, narcissistic or self-centered or, or different things along those lines. How do you help people adjust how do you help people figure out what it is they want and then adjust that for the world, adjust that message? Well, when people come to me in a, you know, what I call a complete, like kind of pea soup cloud, right? I like the, the or fog, rather. I, I like the metaphor of the fog. Um, and that's often when I ask people when they first approach me, if they think they want to work with me. Um, we, we do a lot of introspective stuff. As, as you know, if you spent time with the book, you probably realize, like I, really think it's important to, before you start even thinking about the resume and LinkedIn, whatnot, um, that you do some of that introspective work. And it's like, like understanding your personality and your values and what you care about, what you want your, like I was saying earlier, doing some journaling about even what you want your ideal boss to be like in your ideal workspace. 
getting as clear about those things as you can. And it takes some time to, to do that, that work, you know, and um, if you're kind of willing to kind of do that deeper work, then before you kind of leap into the resume, if you're, if you're somewhat clear and you just need a little bit of clearing up, that's where maybe the fog isn't quite as foggy. It's, it's, you know, kind of wispy fog, I call it, where you can kind of see some options. You just need to get some decisions made about some things. Um, there's still some introspective work that you can do to kind of clear some things up. Um, that's, that's, I guess, where I, where I start people. And then as I've spent time with people over the course of, say, seven sessions, and then we get to the basic message, I'm in a, a lot better position to help them craft that message, because that's one thing I, I consider myself, first and foremost, a writer. You know, I studied journalism and um, thought of myself as a writer when I was a kid, you know, um, so I'm good with words. So I tell people like, use me while you have me <laughs> to help you craft and even practice with me and we can pitch it back and forth and, and then kind of get it to where you're, you feel like it's something that comes naturally to you, you know? I love it. I say the same thing. I'm like, whenever you're about to send an email or a message, send it to me first. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will make it in a way that people will respond to it. So I love yes. that. Um, and I do think that, you know, everything that we're talking about today comes back down to this idea of communication and collaboration, right? When it comes to building a good workplace, the company has to talk to the employees and the employees have to communicate with the company and they have to collaborate on a solution. When it comes to you and your manager, same thing. When it comes to you and the hiring person, same thing. The more you can communicate and collaborate on building this role together rather than being the perfect person for it, the more, the more people, you know, all these places will set themselves up for success. And so I'm curious, as you're sort of looking ahead at, you know, anytime there's a big, a big sweep in a wave, I always am getting ready for the, the next dip, right? So there's a big, great mm -hmm. resignation right now. That's going to be great for some people, but as with any sort of, you know, huge wave, there's going to be a lot of people left in the wake, right? And so then there's going to be this dip that's probably going to come as we go to the other extreme, as the pendulum swings back. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, as you're thinking about, you know, going into the new year, as we wrap up the year here, what are some right. of the things that people should be thinking about and preparing themselves for uh, as we look at 2023? Mm-hmm. 2022? Well, I can't even know what 22, year it is. 22. I did 2022. Been, my husband <laughs> says I've been dating things with 2022 when, when I signed documents or something. He's like, it's not 2022 yet. I'm jumping but, a year. I'm just kind of preparing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, answer your question though. I think, um, I think, I think spending some time just to get really kind of, I hate to give you the same answer, but getting really clear about what you want before I do any work with people you know, foundationally, the very first session we spend um, unpacking um, a, a kind of a worksheet I give people about their values and their vision and and for them their lives. And then we, we get into some um, interest and I'll say it, the word passion comes up, um, pastimes, sometimes I'll use that word. Uh, and really getting like, one of the first questions is what do you want your life to be like? You know, what is, what is it? What do, we, what do you want your day-to-day -day life to feel like? And you know, what did you want to be when you were a kid, when you were growing up? And what, what causes you to, you know, perform above and beyond the call of duty? Just, just getting kind of really, so I would, that would be my recommendation to people is just spend some time asking yourself some of those deeper questions that we don't always give ourselves permission to ask. 
ourselves because they take time. They take kind of quiet and reflection and maybe a notebook and <laughs> pen. And um, before you make any quick decisions about what you're going to do about your career, I think that's, that's what, that's, that's, if, if I was give, to give everybody out there <laughs> advice, which is hard to, hard to do. Um, I think that's where I would, I would, I would start. Yeah, absolutely. It takes some time. It takes some patience. It takes uh, dealing with some of your anxieties. It, it takes all of that. And, you know, reach out to people if you uh, need help. That's that's what all these folks are here for. So, Kristen, thank you so much. Uh, if folks want to follow along with what you're doing, where can they find more about you and and uh, and and read what you've put out into the world? Well, my um, my um, website is spark www.sparkacareer.com, and that's where people can find out more about my career coaching services. But if they're um, interested in, in looking at my more about my books. Um, my author site is just my name, kristenschuman.com. And, uh, and yeah. Um, and we'll have links to all of that in the description. So go hit it up. And Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.